I am so thankful to be here this morning celebrating Baptist Women in Ministry Month of Preaching and Women's Voices in the Pulpit. Today I'll be preaching from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. My sermon is entitled Scripture, Growing Up, and Finding Home. Let's go to our scripture this morning. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he had said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And as we think on these things, open our hearts and minds to hear you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, we don't know much about Jesus's growing up years, but we do have little bits and pieces. I would love to have the time to spend today on the presentation of Jesus when he was just 40 days old. Mary and Joseph bring their baby boy to Jerusalem for the rite of purification dictated in the law of Moses. The family was to offer a lamb as a sacrifice. If they were poor, they could offer two doves, and that is what they did. Now, while they were in the temple courts, they have two separate encounters with older, prayerful saints who have been watching and longing for the consolation of Israel. The first was Simeon. The Holy Spirit had spoken to him that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. And on that day, the Holy Spirit told him to go to the temple and nudged him towards this poor family. He takes the baby Jesus in his arms and he prays, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He speaks a prophecy over Jesus and his mother. The next person they encounter is an 84-year-old woman named Anna. As a young woman, she had been married seven years when her husband died. She dedicated the rest of her life to prayer and the Lord's service. She lived in the temple courts, praying and fasting for the redemption of Israel. She too comes up to Mary and Joseph and rejoices that God's redemption had come. If I had time to preach on this passage, I would talk to you about the beauty of a long faithfulness. But today, together we will be focusing on Jesus once he makes it to 12 years old a tween, as we like to call it now, on the cusp of adulthood. 
Today, my oldest daughter Emerson celebrates her birthday and turns eight. She was not quite two when she arrived here at Second Baptist, and many of you have watched her learn and grow alongside you. Her toddler Sunday school teacher, Wheezy Wilshire, who still teaches toddlers today, knows her better than most people, instilled in her faith formation from preschool Bible lessons, and reminds her now how much she has grown and learned here. Today is a celebration day of her turning another year older, but also a time to reflect and look back on just how far she has come. As anyone who has been in the presence of children knows, it happens fast, very, very fast. As parents, grandparents, relatives, teachers, guardians, and friends of children, we are, and rightfully should be, concerned for their well-being. We are to protect them and teach them, nurture and nourish their lives, ensure their health and safety. We all need someone to guide and guard us growing up, and growing up is hard work. So it is no surprise that Mary would be in a panic when she discovers that Jesus is not with the group of travelers. With great anxiety, she and Joseph search for him. Three days later, the one who was lost has been found. Mary's first words are, child, why have you treated us like this? But what I really hear is, where have you been, young man? Your father and I did not survive visits from angels, a birth in a manger, and living as a refugee in Egypt, only for you to get lost in Jerusalem. But Jesus isn't the one who is lost. He knows who he is and where he belongs. And Mary and Joseph are the ones who are lost. Now, it's clear that Mary and Joseph brought up young Jesus with a religiously observant upbringing in Nazareth. Luke tells us that when he was eight days old, Joseph and Mary had him circumcised and formally gave him the name assigned by Gabriel. When he was 40 days old, as we talked about, he was dedicated in the temple as the law of Moses dictated. Every year, his whole family traveled many miles to Jerusalem to observe the Passover celebration there. His family did what I like to call the stuff. Luke reminded us that God does the extraordinary through people who do the ordinary. God encounters Zechariah as he's serving in the temple, and in an act of faithful obedience, like we said, Simeon and Anna got to meet Jesus. We are shown here to do the stuff. Praying, searching the scriptures, worship, communion, baptism, being in community. These things honor God. These things are commonly referred to as the means of grace. These are the normal channels through which God works in our lives. And we cannot reject this routine. Now, 2022 at Second Baptist Church is a great time to check the status of these holy habits. Our New Testament challenge is a perfect vehicle for this, to know God's word, to be reminded of the stories, to weave scripture into our everyday lives while we read it as a community of faith is so important. The Bible shows us God's character and provides us God's revelation of God's self to God's people. In each section of the Bible, we see God's holy, unchanging, faithful, gracious, and loving character. Mary and Joseph knew this. They practiced this in their home with their family, their extended family, their community. Knowing the scripture 
was part of who they were. And of course, you have to read the scripture to know it. Some people want spiritual fireworks, but habits are what produce growth. Now, it seems sort of obvious to say, but it is also a profound mystery what it says in the scripture today that Jesus grew. He grew physically, he grew mentally, he grew spiritually. Luke tells us that he grew in wisdom. He needed to learn things. And growth is the opposite of comfort. For some of us, the riskiest thing we can do is stay as we are. Growth requires opening up to new ways of looking at things. So why the boyhood story today? It's significant in a few ways. First, it's the only story in scripture that we have from Jesus's boyhood. It helps us to think about the mystery of the incarnation. This is also the last mention of Joseph in the biblical narrative. Maybe Jesus needed to claim God as his father in a new way here. This story also gives us the first recorded words of Jesus. But it all started with an emergency. Mary and Joseph, their extended family, have traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Still today, Jewish families will toast on Passover next year in Jerusalem. It is the best place to celebrate this high holy day. They went every year, even though they lived a far distance and the trip required multiple overnight stays away from home. They traveled in a large caravan of neighbors and relatives. Once done their religious observance in Jerusalem, the group traveled a full day back towards home before Jesus was even recognized as missing. They thought he had spent the day with his cousins and his friends. They started asking around and calling for him. He was nowhere to be found. They spent a worried, sleepless night in the realization that they would have to head back to the city the next day to look for him. It is probably a sign that Jesus was usually very reliable and that it took them a whole day to start worrying about him. He was not the sort of kid that you had to keep on a leash, it appears. This episode must have been somewhat out of character for him. Here is another sermon I wish I had time to preach, looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. Mary and Joseph started searching for Jesus in all the places they might find him. Where would a 12-year-old boy be? They retraced their steps. I'm sure they even checked all the ancient arcades and bowling alleys, and he was nowhere to be found. Psalm 122 describes Jerusalem as a city tightly compacted together, and three days is an extraordinarily long time to not know where your child is. 10 minutes can seem like hours. Did he get the wrong, in the wrong caravan? And like, who knows where he is now? Having looked everywhere else, they go to the temple. This may have been their point of giving up. Did they go there to pray before heading home? But there he was. They find him in the temple courts, sitting among the rabbis, listening to them, asking questions, and giving answers. Everyone was amazed at his understanding. Jesus was with teachers that he would not have access to back home. Jesus visiting the temple is like someone who really loves math getting a field trip to MIT. Jerusalem was, well, Jerusalem. There was no greater place to learn about God. Jesus was growing, and this meant that he needed new relationships and new teachers. 
Mary and Joseph did not have everything he needed. The synagogue back in Nazareth did not have everything he needed. He took this unscheduled opportunity to interact with people of deeper knowledge. If Jesus had been from a wealthy family, they may have sent him to study in Jerusalem at about age 12 and throughout his teenage years. But in Jerusalem this day, Jesus saw these lectures happening and realized that he needed to be in one of those circles, if only for a little while. Growing up means establishing our identity and figuring out our place in the world. It involves creating relationships, setting priorities, making decisions. We must choose values and beliefs that structure our lives. Along the way, we make mistakes, get lost, backtrack, and sometimes need to start over. Ultimately, growing up means moving out and finding a new home. This may be a geographical move, but most certainly it involves a psychological and spiritual move. Today's gospel story is about growing up. Yes, but if we look a little deeper, it is not Jesus growing up. It is about Mary and Joseph growing up. It is about you and me growing up. Growing up is not about how old we are. It is really about moving into a deeper and more authentic relationship with God, our world, each other, and ourselves. Jesus is the one who grows us up. He is the one who will grow Mary and Joseph up. Children have a way of doing that to their parents. They challenge us to look at our world, our lives, and ourselves in new, different, and sometimes painful ways. This is exactly what Jesus' question does to Mary. She had, to, had put herself and Joseph in the center of Jesus' world. His question was about to undo that. Why are you searching for me, he asked. Did you not know I must be in my father's house? Jesus is telling Mary she should have known where he was. It is as if he was saying, remember the angel told you that night in Bethlehem that I would be the son of God. Remember that night? Angels praising God, shepherds glorifying God. Remember the three men from the east, their gifts and adoration. Remember Joseph's dream that guided us to Egypt and back. Where else would I be than here? Jesus has put God in the center of his world and asks Mary and us to do the same, to move to the father's home. Authentic growth always involves letting go. Mary's move to the father's house, her growing up, means that she will have to let go of her boy Jesus image. Jesus was born of Mary, but he is the son of God. He is with her, but he does not belong to her. She can give him love, but not her thoughts or ways. He is about the father's business. Ultimately, she must strive to be like him, and not make him like her. Jesus has moved from Mary and Joseph's home to the Father's home. This is not a rejection of his earthly parents, but a reprioritizing of relationships. It is what he would ask of Simon and Andrew, James and John. Follow me would be the invitation for them to leave their homes, their nets, their fathers, and move to a different place live a different life, see with different eyes. It is today that he asks that of you and of me. 
Growing up spiritually involves leaving our comfort zones, letting go of what is safe and familiar, and moving to a bigger place, to the Father's place. This letting go is a necessary detachment if we are to grow in the love and likeness of Christ. It means we must leave our own little homes. Now, we all live in many different homes, homes of fear and anger and prejudice, homes of grief and sorrow, homes in which we have been told or convinced that we don't matter, that we are not enough, unacceptable or unlovable, homes in which we have been or continue to be hurt or wounded, homes in which we have hurt or wounded another, homes of indifference and apathy, homes of sin and guilt, homes of gossip and envy and pride. Every one of us could name the different homes in which we live, homes that keep our life small, our vision narrow, and our world empty. The problem is that sometimes we have become too comfortable in these homes. They are not our true homes. They are not the home God offers us. We may have to pass through them, but we do not have to stay there. Jesus says that there is not only another home for us, but invites, guides, and grows us up into that home. It is a place he knows well. It is the Father's home in which we can know ourselves and each other to be God's beloved children, created in God's image and called to be like God. So why would we continue to pay rent on a place that can only impoverish us when we could move to the Father's home for free? In the Father's home, our place at the banquet is set. It is a home in which we live in rooms of mercy, forgiveness, joy, love, beauty, generosity, and compassion. Leaving home does not necessarily leaving our physical or geographical home, though sometimes it might. It does mean examining and reprioritizing the values, beliefs, and relationships that establish our identity and give our life meaning and significance. It means letting go of an identity that is limited to our biological family, our job, our community reputation, our culture, or our political party, and trusting that who we are is who we are in God. It means that we can stop relating to one another by comparison, competition, and judgment and begin relating through love, self-surrender, and vulnerability. It means that we let go of fear about the future and discover that God is here in the present and that all shall be well. We stop ruminating on the past guilt, regrets, and sin and accept the mercy and forgiveness of God and each other. We see our life not in opposition of others, but as intimately related to and dependent on others. Our life related to and dependent on others. It's what we find in reading scripture together, in growing and learning together, all generations, in asking wondering questions and really wondering about them, in reading about who God is and God's faithfulness. This is where scripture brings us, and this is why reading and instilling a foundation of faith in children, yes, but in all of us, is so instrumental in finding home. Our fifth grade Sunday school class here at Second Baptist is a perfect example of this. 
led by Bobby Ucrop, Alan McElwain, and Smith Blake, these not quite 12-year-olds learn the importance of reading and memorizing scripture. One of the things they do in their fifth grade year is to do an in-depth study of the 23rd Psalm and then memorize that Psalm and recite it to their class. Once they have memorized it, they are presented with an award in front of their classmates and families, a hummingbird award. And this is to show you I have memorized the 23rd Psalm as well, here's mine. So this is our hummingbird that they give out. The hummingbird, made lovingly by Bill Young and Sam Turner for many years, then purchased from artisans in South America, and most recently made by their teacher Smith, are a treasure and a reminder of how important it is to get scripture in your mind and heart. A reminder of how far you've come, like Emerson, from toddler Sunday school, and how each lesson you were taught from Betty Hallberg, or the Plunkets, or the Wrens, from the pulpit and from your own home has brought you to this place. I wonder if you know why it is the hummingbird that is presented for scripture memorization. Their certificate that they present with the award details the legend of the hummingbird, and it says this. Long ago, a bolt of lightning struck the center of the forest and set the woods on fire. The wild animals panicked. They fled from the flames and stampeded into the river for refuge. As they stood in the water, huddled together in terror, the hummingbird flew down beside them. He picked up a few drops of water in his tiny beak, flew back over the center of the flames, and dropped the water on the flames. Then he went back to the river, picked up a few more drops of water, and dropped them on the fire. The little hummingbird was tireless. He repeated the process over and over. The animals stared at him in disbelief. Finally, the lion, the king of the beast, asked the hummingbird, why do you keep doing that? Don't you know that you will never be able to put the fire out with a few drops of water at a time? The hummingbird replied, maybe not, but I am doing all that I can. It goes on to say, you who have memorized the 23rd Psalm are like the hummingbird. You have taken a small but very significant step in your journey as a Christian. Be like a hummingbird and do all that you can. Attend Sunday school and church, read the Bible, memorize scripture, pray, sing hymns, and volunteer to help others. In doing all of these smaller things, you will discover God's big purpose for your life. In other words, do the stuff and God will grow you up. Continue to do those ordinary, routine means of grace, and you will find love, self-surrender, and vulnerability. You will find the home that was meant for you. I wonder what are the little homes in which you live? How have you bound your life, stifled your growth, and kept you from your father's home? I wonder what might you have to leave behind in order to grow up and move to a better place. I wonder what seemingly little things you might need to add to do all that you can to love God and love others. Those can be hard questions, painful questions. Ultimately, however, they are questions found in love. Child, why have you treated us like this? Because I love you. I love you enough to grow you up, 
to find you when you are lost and to bring you with me into the Father's home. Amen.